Hello, and welcome to the Cycling Industry News Podcast. We've got a fan- fascinating guest this week in Bastian Diaz, who seems to have more hats than Johnny Two Hats. So, Bastian, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. And I'm really interested in the work you're doing at the moment. But before we get to that, do you want to tell the listeners where you started off in the bike industry and then your career trajectory to what you're doing right now? Yeah, so basically my first job in the bicycle industry was bicycle mechanic back as the first job parallel to school. Uh, but that, then I went a, a different way, became cameraman, studied media economics. But after my university time, I decided to go more into uh, brand and corporate communications, started at a marketing communications agency that specialized on cycling, spent a few years there, then went on industry side uh, on a global role for a former water sports brand where I prepared the, the global brand launch in the cycling markets. Then I had my own marketing communications and distributor coordination agency around about uh, two years before I went back on industry side into a global role. Um, and yeah, the, the latest, that was like some kind of the, the PR and marketing times, let's say, and for the around about last four years, I'm more specializing in business development. First at a trade show company called Trade Show Munich um, for the IAA Mobility a former automotive show, which turned into a 360-degree mobility show. And since round about uh, three months at an aftermarket bicycle components manufacturer called Escolab, which is leader in the German-speaking market for ergonomic saddles, grips, bars, and so on. And I'm taking care about the internationalization. Awesome. Cool. Well, speaking as someone who is um, literally just getting his Swiss bike mechanic business together and doing all my SKUs for my products, now I've got my Swiss trade accounts, I can definitely confirm that SQ Lab is, uh, is big here in Switzerland. So let's start off on the IAA Mobility Show then, because obviously in the cycling world in general, and I think especially at the moment, it is really campaigning influenced, if not campaigning led and activist led. And, you know, the War on Cars podcast and all the rest of it, there's a definite sense of separation and even combat with the auto industry. And with the IAA Mobility Show, it's the complete opposite. It's the um, opportunity for all sorts of different industries to come together to look for transport solutions, or that's what it appears to be from the website. So in terms of the concept of the show, how much, well, how genuine is that is, is the honest question. It's, it's quite unique. There are other players on a European and Northern American level who want to, to play the full mobility topic on a trade show platform level. Um, IAA is quite special because, um, yeah, I have to be honest, um, it's uh, owned by the German Automotive Association, um, but they had the biggest show, automotive trade show in, in Europe for, for many, many years. So it was a quite a big um, communication platform 
mainstream media reach platform that had been established over many, many decades. And we were quite surprised when VDA, the German Automotive Association, were pitching for a new location for IA. And our approach for a 360 degrees mobility platform was very well wanted. Um, and they, they want to widen up. And um, they, I mean, they talked to their um, automotive um industry members and it's not only the big oems like the big real car brands um but it's also the suppliers and um yeah we, we all know that combustion engines will have an end back then when by the way the automotive association decided to to open their platform for everything mobility um the the recent legislation or decision on a pan-european level which way to go wasn't in effect yet but um they really really early opened up and wanted to make their trade show former car trade show platform a mobility platform so yes it's quite unique because it's coming from automotive background and not like other trade show formats which are more coming from the mobility background and then also add a tiny bit of um automotive let's say and you must um you know having you know been involved in the show you must have quite a unique perspective on these two industries and the meeting of the two industries what do you think the bike industry people were looking for from the auto industry and vice versa to be really honest um I have more the, the bicycle industry perspective because that's the industry I've been working in uh, 15 years. Of course, um, working three years um, at Trade Show Munich and with the German Automotive Association, which by the way is a great team and I felt very, very comfortable. Um, I, I still have to point out that the, the first thing um, when we were discussing about the, the products and the, the revenue models we can offer the, the bicycle industry at IAA Mobility, I was first talking, of course, to the bicycle industry. So I had had several roundtables um, um, like before the final conception of our product offering for the bicycle industry um, at IAA Mobility. And the, the, the main outtakes from these um, three roundtables were for the bicycle industry to use a mobility-related trade show platform. For them, it was the main focus must be complete bikes at the beginning because that's what um, everybody wants to see. Um, don't focus too much on suppliers or components. It's all about complete bikes. That what's of the main interest for a mainstream audience. And that at the same time was the second most important takeaway. The, the bicycle industry wanted a big mainstream communication platform um, which uh, attracts people and reaches people who are not only cycling freaks, but the ones who are absolutely mainstream mindsets who are in general interested in all kinds of uh, mobility solutions. And um, the, the third point was everybody wanted a very strong B2C platform. All the big players, especially on a complete bike level, were very, very skeptic on a B2B trade show approach. The main reason why I could get them for IAA Mobility, which also had own days who were only B2B, but um, the, the classic B2B visitors of a IAA mobility are potential end consumers for all the bicycle brands because each and every engineer, salesperson, um, or wherever in the revenue chain 
of the automotive industry, all these guys ride bikes as well. So mm. that was the, the, the main link why I, I got the, the bicycle industry because I promised them mainly direct consumer leads. And that was the utmost important for the at least the, the, the complete bike brands that at the end uh, also joined the, the show. And the very last thing what they requested was that we build clusters on the, on the trade fair ground that the, the bicycle brands do not stand directly next to classic um, automotive brands. And to be honest, that was a common wrong decision by the industry as well as us. Um, so that was really not working, I'm honest, on a, on a um, traffic level at the trade show because mm -hmm. the segmentation in automotive and cycling um that didn't work out the, the the different target groups didn't mix like they they should so mm -hmm. as one consequence for um the the next edition 2023 i asked my successors to really keep in mind to to mix the different categories and it was also a very very clear feedback um, by the exhibiting brands that they really want to yeah stand next to vw porsche bmw whoever um, but th there must be really a mix of uh, mobility segments on the show and not separated different thoughts. Yeah. And obviously, e-bikes were the first time I noticed this kind of crossover, apart from obviously like Continental tyres and very, you know, various brands that have straddled automotive and cycle, and of course, historically, mm -hmm. many brands previously. But of course, e-bikes, you've got like Broza Motors, which are very big. And of course, they make lots of electric motors for car brands. And, you know, Bosch obviously make, you know, electronics for everything. But the first left field question, this is one outside the show notes, sorry. And one thing I'm interested in is while there is definite synergy, of course, because there's so much that um, all the brands in this show want to achieve, is there not also a quite a serious conflict of interest as well so the auto lobby you know lobbies for space for cars it lobbies for planning around cars um autonomous driving being one of the topic categories is highlighted as being massively dangerous for cyclists so do you think the synergy is bigger than the potential um you know clash points and do you think that the, the lobbying of the auto industry into governments is potentially going to change to actually include safe spaces for cycling? Because, of course, electric cars um, don't give out direct pollution from the tailpipe. The, but, of course, in their production and in their running and, in fact, pollution from the tyre wear and such is still considerable. And you're going to be just as dead whether an electric car runs you over as a, a combustion car. So safety doesn't change. So do you think that the cycle world coming into help save the auto industry potentially can affect this sort of lobbying to help create livable cities? To be really honest, um, that was a common discussion point when I was talking to the bicycle industry, um, wanting them to sell um, quite big packages to join a former automotive show. So there, there have been quotes from C-level upper management who, who simply said, Basti, I like you, we know each other for quite some time, but forget it. I will never, ever put any money in the biggest automotive association um, in Europe or in a on a global scale even. Um, 
forget it. I'm out. Um, that's I, I won't go that way. Um, that's the enemy. Um, it's what the hell do you even ask? I do get this point. But the other point is they are opening their biggest media platform. Um, and they, they offer you a participation of the media reach, of the customer reach. And they really got there in that position open armed. Um, the main reason for it, if you think about the, the association, there, there's two main players be, behind that kind of industry association. The, the first thing is the classic automotive brands we think of, the German BMWs, Mercedes, um, Volkswagen, and, and so on. Um, but um, the, the second part is all the, the automotive suppliers. Mm. The, the classic um, part suppliers that have been living from the combustion engine for a very, very long time and some kind of missed the electrification efforts and um, building products that are future-proof. I mean, you named some of the, the classic automotive suppliers like Rose, uh, Schaeffler, Mobea, um, Continental, and so on. These are doing automotive and cycling um, at the same time. Um, but there is a big share of the, the small, especially German automotive suppliers um, who have been sleeping the last 10 to, to 15 years and now try to uh, put more and more pressure on the automotive association to help protect them. Um, at the same time, to be really honest, the classic big automotive brands, um, they know that they will lose the, the inner cities on a long-term perspective, on a global scale, first in Europe, um, then in, in, in other metropolitan areas. But um, COVID had been a huge, huge catalyst. And I just want to point out the decision by VDA or the German Automotive Association to make their platform available for everything mobility, including cycling, was done before COVID. So COVID hit when we had already won the pitch with the, the new concept and we're preparing um, the trade show. So um, sorry for the very, for the very long um, answer. I think on an automotive perspective, um, there is two kinds of interests into cycling and new mobility. The one is a really honest one, brands that want to um, open up their, their product portfolio to want to generate future revenue streams also on, a, on revenue models, not only on selling or, or ownership. And there are automotive players where at least I feel it's just a tiny bit of makeup and it seems to be expected by the different um, share and stakeholders that there is some um, engagement in, in cycling as well, but where I doubt that they really put the needed focus on it. So there are automotive players who are doing a really, really good job and some who yeah do t just a tiny bit because they, they have to do. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's like the car showroom with the token bike on the roof of the car for the lifestyle buyers. Exactly. Yeah. And in terms of partnerships then between the auto world and the cycle world, um, do you think we're going to see more merging of that? Because, of course, it's all getting blurred, isn't it? With light, light electric vehicles, e-bikes, electric cars. There is, isn't just a hard line now, is there? No. 
So there's one main thing I'm a tiny. So I love bicycles and pedelecs. Um, these are great products. They are always repairable. We had um, mechanical bicycle standards for, for many, many decades. Okay, we had a shitload of standards, but we had a lot of standards. <laughs> so it was still standardized. And what I now see from different players who are coming from outside the bicycle industry, um, mainly the automotive uh, players, but also players from consumer electronics, other sports goods segments, like basically everybody is jumping into the Pedelec and e-bike market, um, is that more and more full proprietary systems are coming up. Mm. And yeah. this is the, sorry, this is the fucking automotive approach, which mm. means owning the full um, life cycle of the product. Whenever you want to have this product obsolete, it's obsolete because you stop um, um, producing spare parts and distributing them. So you simply stop with making the, the products repairable because you want to, to sell the new ones. You own the full um, spare parts margin um, because it's only you um, offering these uh, these parts. And yeah, the consumer would take some risks if he has a third party supplier fitting your product and it makes a total mess on a additional yeah, standards level as well. And that's what I'm... I'm, I'm simply hoping that the way won't go. I hope the, the, the good automotive player or any player, doesn't matter with, who in the, in the e-bike industry, will build products that are at least sticking to standards on the mechanical side to make them long time repairable. And um, at the same time, I think the, the, the whole e-ingredient, e-motor brand um, business battery and motor business is quite new, but what we see, what the, the big players have been doing in the past is when the next generation came, the attachment points of the, the engine um, or the motor box were, were changed, so there was no backwards compatibility, so, um, and consumers or shops or users couldn't um, upgrade existing frame platforms. Um, so the, the, the biggest, call to action I see for automotive and bicycle players in the whole electrification is make products repairable long times by sticking or creating standards that, that work. So I think that's the, the biggest challenge. And of course, the automotive player, players are used to build everything like they want. Maximum integration, maximum uh, customer experience. They only think to the part of where the product is sold and they don't think about the, the whole aftermarket um, stakeholders on top. Doesn't matter if it's the, the end consumer himself who has a broken bike and needs to get it repaired for the shop and service providers who need to, to find and order the spare parts and, and so on. Um, so that's the, the thing where I'm a tiny bit excited, but it's not only the automotive players there are some players in the bicycle market that are initially coming from the bicycle market who are doing huge mistakes in my opinion on a product um, level already by making bikes all proprietary parts yeah i mean and i'm sure everyone listening to this who's in the bike industry is getting as frustrated by that as most of us are you know the proprietary forks and headsets and bars and stems and seat posts and 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 it doesn't work for anyone it doesn't work for the dealers doesn't work for the consumers and potentially only works for the brands in the short term because you know potentially customers are going to go away to brands where they can actually repair the equipment so 
obviously look i just the- would sorry I, I i would just jump in there quick and that's the point that the automotive industry has to realize um build products that can be also sold and serviced on cycling channels if you do so your success in the market will be way bigger than you only stick to your classic former automotive now mobility sales and service mm, yeah. channels yeah uh, i mean certainly i remember when we launched our mobile mechanic business in london in 2007 and we were doing lots of fleets of bikes and i remember pretamonje because they had a load of Pashley delivery bikes they said oh can you do our levs as well and we'll, we'll, have, we'll have a look at them. You know, we'd never really seen these things before. These light electric vehicles, they look a bit like bikes, you know. Yeah. But we have, you know, we had some really good London mechanics look at these, and I looked at them, and it was just like, guys, no way. You know, <laughs> apart from maybe a flat tire, this it, uh, we don't have the supply chain, we don't have the knowledge. It's just a completely different proprietary machine, and we're not in in the loop with that in any way. No. Uh, one of the that p- will happen, sorry, that will happen um, in the future even more because that was your initial question before how the different product categories merge mm. and they are merged massively. Drive by wire or ride by wire is one of the main factors to yeah. still have like the, the Pedelec or cranks and pedals legislation um, to, to, to the maximum supported speeds and makes it easier. Um, for for running these kind of vehicles without insurance and uh, so on. So the drive-by-wire is a key technology. And we will see way more um, of these, not only in the in the cargo segment. I mean, if you have a look, for example, at Mocky, which is a classic two-wheeler, um, of course, they are aiming for the B2B business for last mile delivery, um, food services, and so on. But it's not only about the, the big three- or four-wheeled um cargo vehicles that use drive by wire and then it gets complicated like um yeah it's it's a lot of proprietary part custom parts no regular um bicycle service partner will be able to to cover these yeah and certainly uh, that cargo bike world I mean, you you pretty much you know jumped into our next question there um that cargo bike world is the place of most crossover isn't it so, uh, you know, Mabira with this sort of four-wheeled cargo bike. There's lots of um, vehicles we see around here in Switzerland anyway. It's like, is that an e-bike? Is that a, a pedelec? Is, is that a, an LEV? And then, of course, we've got small electric cars and, and everything else. So in terms of the auto industry getting into the cargo bike world, do you think that could be something that gets very, very big? Yes, but um, I, they are not necessarily addressing it as uh, the cargo segment. Yeah. Um, I think there there is a segment for urban personal transportation. Um, maybe you saw the, the study by, by Canyon Bikes like one year or one and a half years ago, where, which they had this kind of velopaid um, cabin style um, pedelec, mm-hmm. um, which can, can also be run by throttle. Uh, if not used on a cycleway, but on on the street, and then um, the, the speed limit is higher. Um, I think for these single maximum double occupancy vehicles, small light ones, there's a, a big future ahead, and they can be um, pedelecs, let's say, with a with the related speed limit and no registration. Um, 
what we see from the automotive industry from different players um but also for example by the bicycle industry so if you have a look what bmw motorcycles or fun move with their latest very powerful e-bike um project um, they made they made this bike to be able to be ridden on a cycling infrastructure with a, a limited top speed and being cranks and pedal activated but then you have by the um, switch of a button you have basically a e-motorbike mm. and the main question is what will happen on a legislation level um, the two named right now were two wheelers but the same is also a pro um, the, the the same challenge or even bigger challenge on everything that doesn't look like a classic bicycle but is three or four wheel so in the future there will be a lot of new um inner city mobility categories where the european legislation or the global legislation isn't there yet at all um the there are players like bmw fun uh working on a lobbying level with players like Lever, e eu and so on but also the bicycle associations and a lot has to to happen the main issue is that on a legislation level doesn't matter if on a national level or a European level, it takes ages, 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 ages. And um, really the, the different associations um, have to get their shit together on a um, legislation draft level to, to make progress. And we are not there yet. And I think what most of our listeners would be interested in, because obviously the bike industry has done pretty well during COVID, but you know, a lot of bike businesses, you know, they're always somewhat concerned about the month end or the year end. And it's about whether this collaboration with the auto industry and interest from the auto industry is a, a benefit or a threat, potentially. I mean, coming back to when we were doing our growing bike business in London, sort of 2007, 2009, 2012, there was such a huge explosion in London for cycling and, and the growth of cycling infrastructure at the time because all of the mayors, um, Ken Livingston's deputies, were from the Green Party. So they influenced <laughs> the entire civil service, you know, within local government in London to promote cycling and it had a big effect, a lasting one. But in terms of the real money being made, that just went to the same old companies, you know, the Circos, which are running the London hire bike scheme, uh, Babcock's big engineering company doing all of the police bikes. The bike industry did not benefit from the big money contracts that were coming in. Is there a danger of that happening here in the e-bike world, for, you know, with the auto industry stepping in? No. I don't think so, because what you described was the situation 15 years ago. Sure. And um, what's the most important for state um, community council players is reliable, proven partners. And everything that's um, Pedelecs and e-bikes, the bicycle industry, um, is the proven partner. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the automotive industry doesn't have enough experience in that segment yet. So now, 15 years later, I think um, that the bicycle industry has the best cards at at hand. And um, yeah, on a on what you said just about the um, the, the retailer perspective, um, the next two to three years will be really challenging 
I think what we see with the with the upcoming recession and the the big numbers that had been placed by the big players on our supplier side. So the the big players who blocked all the the frame manufacturing production slots um, and a, a big share of the the component contingents. There's a lot of products on a complete bike level now coming, especially to the European market. Mm. Um, and at the same time, we see a strong momentum, especially in Germany, uh, away from ownership towards leasing. Yeah, but yeah. also subscription models are coming up um, en masse. And at the same time, both the subscription and the, the leasing models often push a lot of second-hand bikes onto the market. So what, what we see, basically, the, the whole bicycle industry over-ordered um, last year for the next three years. Um, now a recession is coming, and there are different purchasing or owner, not usage um, options that are not related to ownership, but leasing, um, sharing, and... Um, Sorry, now I forgot it. Uh, leasing, sharing, and subscription. Um, and yeah, I, I'm excited uh, what will happen on, on a retail level. I, I, I fear a very, very early discounting battle um, early next year. Like, mm -hmm. um, but, but we will see. I think um, we, we will still have growth rates. We will still be a very healthy industry. But the, the, the two main boom years, um, are in our past, um, let's say. So uh, the next two to three years uh, will be exciting, but um, afterwards, and at the same time, like still, the bicycle industry has the best cards at hand for everything that's urban e-mobility, which at the moment means um, pedelecs and, and e-bikes. Of course, there are additional categories coming up, especially all these small e-mopeds, e-motorbikes, uh, Maximum speed as well, 25 kilometers, um, but no cranks and, and pedals. Mm -hmm. That's a segment that's um, developing really, really fast. Um, only a very few players in the market right now. On an urban mobility level, you also have to keep in mind that uh, the whole uh, motorcycle industry, because we have been talking about the automotive yeah. industry so yeah. far, but now the, the whole motorbike industry is is like really they are so late so old school like they really only started investing um like two years ago and um yeah they have it they have longer lead times than the bicycle industry so it takes at least two to four more years until we see the next wave of e-moto brands um or classic former combustion engine motorbike brands that then are ready to push into the e-moto market in all kinds of weight classes and, and speed uh, classes. Um, right now, it's only small individual players who don't have the power on a sales channel, channel or, or marketing level. Um, but yeah, so to, to be really honest, I even see a bigger... Um, risk for the bicycle industry for urban mobility not by the uh, automotive industry but by the by the motorcycle industry uh mid to long term yeah. because if you're, if you're a lazy customer and yeah the, the human being as such is lazy 
and you can decide if you have to push uh, <laughs> pedal and cranks to to move within the inner city or you just have to uh, turn the throttle um this, the throttle wins yeah yeah i mean certainly here in Bern, those electric motorbikes as you say are rated to 25k an hour the ones that are designed to look like choppers they are everywhere they are so popular they are just absolutely everywhere and um being switzerland everyone drives them very sensibly so it doesn't really <laughs> cause a bother on the cycle paths and such so really really fascinating look at the iaa show and i must get to the show in 2023 so really look forward to that and to see how that grows and changes you know my personal feeling is that people often get so lost i think obviously the auto the auto industry it's so into tech isn't it like every time i hire a car or something and get and drive a new car it's it's more of a robot you know it's trying to brake for me it's trying to steer for me and i, I don't want that <laughs> i don't want the computer in the car and all that stuff and it seems for transport solutions people get excited by flying taxis and all this nonsense where just design a city for cycling and walking and you can, you can make quite a lot of difference on a low tech way but yes coming into the bike industry then sq lab it's um pretty awesome brand i think and it's definitely a bike shop friendly brand so you've got really ergonomic um you know components for all sorts of bikes so what's your role there uh, I'm the director of global business development. Um, a, a big share of our revenue is coming from the German-speaking markets. Um, we are market leader in, in these, let's call them home markets. We are from Germany, but um, yeah, Switzerland and Austria is always easy to, as a market to cover in your native um, language. Um, the biggest competitors worldwide are coming from Germany as well. So, But they are sometimes more successful on an international level and that's the reason why i joined escolab to to help on on a global scale or to be more precise i'm in charge for all markets apart from germany austria switzerland so i'm i'm taking care about the rest of the world the combination of marketing and sales and of course the, the sq lab is something that is really obviously in the bike fitting world with all the sit bone measurements, the foot type measurements, even a grip size measurement, which was new for me. And um, do you think that, you know, bike shops, bike dealers really, really need to be addressing comfort in general riders, not just a bike fit for a competitive rider? Yes, I think so. Um, the, the main thing, there's so many people out there or riders who have small issues um, and these issues tend to become bigger and bigger the, the more they ride. Might it be numbness or pain in the hands, um, on, the, on the sitting area, lower back, upper neck, shoulders. Um, it's all about ergonomics. You can have, enjoy riding so much more if the bike rider touch points do work for you. On a, on a fitting perspective. And of course, um, we, we serve all the, the, the pro fitters, but we also serve the, the basic dealers who and enable them simply to, to find small, how could I say, um, problem creators on an ergonomic level and use our products as problem solvers to make riders more happy. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and people are going to keep cycling, aren't they? If, if they're comfortable and happy on their bike, they're more likely to keep going on it rather than buying an, an e-motorbike. So exactly, exactly, and um, the, the the classic um, SQ Lab buyer does not only own one bike. So mm. the, the classic um, SQ Lab buyer owns many bikes, different disciplines, road, mountain, trekking. Um, and he is riding a lot across all the different uh, segments. Um, so we are our, our main um, customers are really the, the bike nerds and, and heavy users. And they are at the same time always great ambassadors within their personal um, field. And um, yeah, to be honest, each and every customer of us um, of the old customers is the best opinion leader that we have um, and that's the reason why we are growing quite fast because as soon as somebody is getting issues or pains or numbness somewhere um, he's asking his best friend who is the avid cyclist um, how he was able to avoid it yep well talking about the growth then um, boards and more which are a huge um, sport company have bought sq lab out has that changed things no, not at all. I've been working for SQLab back in 2012, where I did the, the global brand launch for Iron, a former water sports brand in the bicycle market. So I know bought some more um, and the sea level really, really well. Um, to be really honest, um, the reason that SQLab was bought by Bortsamore was a reason why I joined the company, because I really did enjoy it a lot working for that company. So basically nothing changed. Mm. The only thing that um, changed um, were single distribution partners, but there is one main reason. Bortsamore has owned subsidiaries, um, four in Europe, uh, one in the States and one in Australia. And um, yeah, they re- we switched from classic distribution um, partners to, to our own subsidiaries. That was the, the only change, but makes total sense because we have full sales reps um, after sales teams in these different uh, markets for IM Bike already. And to have a second bicycle brand in the Boards and War portfolio um, is really great to, to use these synergies because Boards and More, as the name says, um, the, the main brands are all related to wind water sports and uh, SUP. Yeah. So in terms of what SQ Lab has been developing then, um, like I said, for me, grip size measurement was a new one. Do you think there's any particular innovations or developments that you've made that have really stood out? The, the main thing was that the whole saddle uh, concept, which is patented, um, like uh, Toby Hill, the uh, the, the mastermind behind Esculap, a former motocross uh, rider, then really, really big injury, uh, broke his back several times um, and then started uh, or went back to riding mountain bikes and had huge issues. And then basically um, has been working on ergonomic setups that help him um, doing that sport that he wouldn't be able to to practice otherwise. Um, what did he create? He was the, the first who really created the um, ergonomic step saddle, which means um, you, you have one or two steps in the saddle, depending on how sportive or not sportive the saddle is, who gives you a unique pressure um, on, on the pedals, uh, a huge efficiency by the setup. Um, I would need 
more words and a visual to explain it uh, all in detail. But he simply um, made a few things obvious. One is um, a flat saddle is better than a curved one because it, it helps provide, um, avoid uh, numbness. And um, he, he was also the, one of the very first ones who said, hey, let's not make the, the padding of a saddle super soft because then the sit bones stick in there and that's not good for the nerves. It's better to have a stiffer padded um, saddle. It will be more comfortable on a mid to, to long term. So he, he made a lot of changes on the general ergonomics of saddles and afterwards transferred it with the help of different uh, doctors and professors only also to the other touch points um, between rider and bicycle. But uh, on, the, on the saddle perspective, the, the biggest patents and ideas created the, the core business for SQLab. And do you think there's other areas that SQLabs can or, or should get into that are going to be of particular interest to the bike dealers? No, we focus on the, the rider touch points, rider bike touch points. That's our, our main thing. Um, of course, we also offer a tiny bit, a, a very small apparel collection. There will be news. Um, we will offer uh, a new gloves uh, protection range because our grips works really, really fine on a, on a fitting level. And uh, we are creating and launching an all-new fit concept and sizing concept in gloves at, at Eurobike. Um, so because we think we, you, you need that kind of um, sizing system and fitting system to really make a glove fit everybody. Mm -hmm. um, so that's something that's coming up. But apart from that, we stick to our core um, components, which are saddles, grips, bars, um, stems, and pedals, like really the, the main touch points. That's where we, mm. we focus mainly on. Of course, we also have bibs um, or Jamie's, special own developed Jamie's that are also used by other brands um, as, um, yeah, there we are more or less an ingredient brand. We, we have uh, Jamie's that are very, very thin um, have a very, very high density, um, triple material mix, great cushioning and rebound characteristics by being like between half and a third of the thickness of regular Jamie's. Yeah. So that's also something that we offer. But um, I mean, for me on an international business development side, I really want to focus mainly on saddle and grips right now, because that's where we have the most experience, the, the widest product portfolio. And um, as we say, in Germany, every second German is an engineer. <laughs> but if you um, have a look on a, on a pan-European level or Northern America or um, Oceania, um, it, it looks totally uh, different. So um, my, my challenge is more, we have very technical products. We can explain for each and every product, we can explain it in around about five to eight minutes in, in depth, why it's so great. Um, I have to work to make it... Um, uh, explainable in 10 to 20 seconds, to be honest. That's why my main target. Well, yeah. Well, Bastian Diaz, that was a really fascinating look at the uh, various parts of the industry that you're involved in. Where can people find out more about both IAA and SQ Labs online? IAAMobility.com and SQ-Lab.com. Uh, there you will find all the information with IAA Mobility. I'm 
to be to be honest, I'm not involved anymore. I speak here and then to my old colleagues and uh, my successors, giving hints sometimes. Um, for IAA Mobility, it was quite um, quiet, to be honest. Um, after I left on an external communication level, you have to know that the same team at Rachel Munich that is in charge for IAA Mobility is also in charge for Outdoor by ISPO and ISPO Munich, so two of the biggest um, sports trade shows worldwide. And the team is switching between shows, um, ISPO Munich being scheduled for November this year. I think um, there will be more noise about IAA mobility, the future concepts and what has changed um, from early 2023 on. The date uh, stays the same. The show um, IAA mobility is every two years, always in September. And um, yeah, I'm right now really happy to, to see how Eurobike is doing in Frankfurt. I, I really want it to be a great success. Mm -hmm. And um, I think for 2023, both shows can ha have their, their place. I think uh, Eurobike is really totally focused on cycling, uh, light electric vehicles, uh, general mobility with a very, very strong B2B focus still. And I think for IAA mobility, it can be really the, the 360 degree mobility show, including cars, uh, with a very, very strong B2C approach. Um, because I think um, we, we have to be honest, in 2021, um, there was not enough traffic on IAA mobility, especially in the cycling halls. But we were the very first international trade show taking place after one and a half years COVID break. Mm -hmm. And people weren't into going to trade shows again yet, to, to be honest. Yeah, it was really a challenge. In the inner city at the so-called open spaces, where the, the brands, also the bicycle brands, built brand and product experience up in the very, very inner city. We had great traffic numbers, even if there was tracing and tracking. So everybody who wanted to visit a, a booth had to give his full information first and um, to be trackable in that area, even if outdoor. But there it was uh, working really, really fine. The main issue, I'm honest, was during that first trade show after COVID was activating trade show halls on a trade for uh, trade show um, fairground and get people get there and go mm. into closed halls again. I think um, yeah. that was the, the main issue. I really do want that the shows work again. I do wish that Eurobike has a great comeback in, in Friedrichshafen, uh, in, in Frankfurt, coming from Friedrichshafen. I think Frankfurt was a very, very good decision just on an infrastructure level because everybody was annoyed by the uh, Friedrichshafen situation. So I think they made a perfect decision. <laughs> Yeah, because you're from Switzerland, so yeah, one time by ferry, and it's super easy for you, isn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I am uh, curious. I'm curious about the change of date, though. You know, I think moving it into July is. I'm I'm not going this year because it's in July. I would have gone if it was in September. To be really honest, um, I, I've been talking to to several stakeholders about timing in the in the bicycle industry. I talked also to my friends in, in Friedrichshafen. 
you can never find a date that makes everybody happy. Mm. And um, I was surprised. I'm, I'm still, I, I, I'm honest. I, I was surprised when they, they, they switched the date to um, July this year mm. because they had that kind of experiment, let's say, already in 2018. And it turned out to be uh, not the right decision. Um, but... Yeah, things changed. Um, there are, again, four years in between. The timelines are getting earlier, earlier, earlier. But now, due to COVID, um, the, the lead times and the timelines that when the, when the date was shifted <laughs> to, to uh, July, um, that wasn't forecastable, that now the timelines are totally different um, again. So um, I'm neutral about the, the timing. I know which huge hassles um, it is on for a trade show organizer to to find the, the the perfect timing that makes everybody happy. It's almost impossible. And so I want to back up um, the Friedrichshafen team with Eurobike now being hosted in in Frankfurt. Um, I hope the the date works for us as a as collab perspective. It wasn't a problem at all um, to have it earlier. Um, some other players might have more issues, for example, on getting showable samples, maybe even writable samples. Um, so, but yeah, I, I think let's, let's try it. Um, SQLab is a small, medium-sized company. We need global uh, trade shows, global trade show platforms, also for media relations, to talk to all our stakeholders. Doesn't matter if it's um, suppliers, um, wholesalers, distributors, dealers, um, journalists. Uh, we, we need these kind of trade show platforms. We can't run press camps, international sales meetings, national sales meeting on our own because we are too small. Mm. We, we, we rely on classic trade show uh, platforms, to, to be honest, because for us, it's the most efficient tool if all the different stakeholders at least show up as visitors so yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see the the uh, for me right now talking to different stakeholders it's quite mixed i still have a good feeling but it's not like that everybody will be there like you you won't be there um this year um there are a few who won't be there either um but the the most feedback i got was positive and that they will be there so I think we need trade shows. Uh, the most important as a trade show organizer is make um, brands, doesn't matter which size, offerings that are very cheap and cost efficient to, to have a really, really good return on investment. And my biggest call for, for brands is before you step out of the exhibiting game, maybe consider to come with a way smaller invest, smaller boost, but still use that uh, touch point. Um, it would be a pity if these kind of international trade shows would die because everybody only wants to come as a visitor mm. um, and not willing to, to participate as an exhibitor anymore. And yeah, it's, it's still a challenge. Let's see mm -hmm. uh, on, on a general, because uh, I think one, one thing we have to also point out on a general trade show or events perspective, I think there, there is a niche that isn't covered yet on a, on a cycling industry perspective. And I think that's international uh, media test events and national uh, retail test events where small, medium-sized companies can put efforts together 
to make it uh, small but very effective um, events. And that combined on a, on a timing that works for all stakeholders, um, because it's a small show, so you can time it uh, accordingly. And for the big um, international shows like Eurobike or IAA Mobility, um, I really, really do hope that they will work um, long term, but the next two years will decide if there is a future for them or not, to be honest. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I remember when Interbike died a death in the US and my own personal experience of shows in the UK had just been going downhill year on year. I really thought, is this the end of the bike show? But then we've seen some tremendously strong cycle shows and trade shows since. I mean, in the UK, you've got the smaller independent shows like Core Bike, which are really great and a fantastic meeting of the tribes. But yeah. certainly the national cycle show that used to be in London at Earl's Court, as soon as it moved to Birmingham, loads of the big players like Trek and Specialized just stopped going. And I read some reviews on Facebook, cycling Facebook groups in the last few days that the national cycling show at the NEC was dreadful you know pit cyclists punters had gone to look at new bikes to try new bikes and there weren't any bikes there you know it was components and small brands and such and you know that that's been the case for many many years and i, I personally haven't gone for quite a few years for, for that same reason as well you know we can do our networking often without being face to face so if, I think if the trade show is going to be reinvigorated, yeah, it's going to have to be special. And as you say, the big brands as well as the, the boutique brands have to show up. I'm 100% with you. So the, the, with IAA Mobility, with these roundtables I had before, um, I, I said it uh, before, like the, the main focus also from the industry was they, they told me, Bestie, you need all the big complete bike brands first. Mm. That's the, the main thing. That's what the people want to see. For yeah. IA Mobility last year, it worked. Um, from from Specialized, okay, they were the only ones being only at the open space. Um, but we also had um, Cannondale, SRAM, Rose, uh, Scott, um, big German brands from ZTG, which means Kettler, Bulls, um, Husqvarna, R. Raymond. So it, it was Reza Müller. It, it was a really a well mix. And yeah, you need the big brands. You, mm. But you only get the complete bike brands if you have a, a big end consumer reach. You don't get the big brands for a B2B show. Um, that's that's the main challenge. For example, what, what Eurobike uh, now did, and sorry, I, I love these guys, um, but I, I would have wished that they had from the very beginning also um, a brand finder for their uh, inner city um, brand presences at the, the, the Kai area. Um, because I know from friends of Specialized, when I asked them, do you use Eurobike as a platform? And they told me, yes, but we are in the inner city like we were with IAA Mobility. We were just in the inner city. We were not at the trade fair ground. And yeah, that's like the main thing. Offer the brands, the touch points, and the target groups that they need. If the, the smaller components and supplier brands need the classic B2B trade show, yay, make it possible for them. But for the, for the big complete bike brands, offer them a platform to create a big reach on an end consumer level. So that's essential. What we see in the US, and you said it with the deaths of Interbike, um, 
Itabike died, and then um, Sea Otter uh, Classic became the annual melting pot for all stakeholders of the Northern American bicycle industry. Yeah. But it's a consumer event, but everybody is there and mm. meets and, and celebrates the, the, the season kickoff and has big product uh, presentations, perfect in time for the beginning of the season towards end consumers, media partners, and everybody um, gets together and, and meet again. And I think that's the more the, the future. Let's see what um, the, the, the guys who make the, the big year show. Uh, I mean, under COVID circumstances, I heard still good things about the show in, in Northern America. Um, the main guy behind it, I forgot uh, his name right now, sorry, my bad, uh, just published uh, yesterday that he is about to uh, launch an e-bike show in, in Denver in, I think it was October, um, for 2023. So there's, again, a kind of regular trade show concept coming up for the Northern American market. There's all the different kind of players, doesn't matter if it's consumer electronics, automotive, Means, means cars or motorcycle industry stepping into that e-bike market, it might be a chance that um, this kind of format will work again, but not as a classic cycling show like in the past, but a really dedicated e-bike and e-mobility show. Um, but for the US American market, the, the, the most important show in that context is CES, which is a huge global media platform uh, because it, it includes everything consumer electronics. So there is still a big competition in that market with a global reach. So let's see. I think for that whole trade show part, Eurobike have to be really a success right now. IAA Mobility and Eurobike have to be a success next year. And then uh, I, I see uh, a safe future for these shows. Um, but if it doesn't work the next two years, then I don't see a future for for the shows. I, I really do hope that it will happen. And it's a pain. I know that my former bosses and so on uh, will uh, probably hear that podcast, but that's my personal opinion. Um, yeah. it's, it's, it's really still a challenge. The whole um, trade show industry has a huge challenge to, to get back to, to the level where they had been before COVID. And nobody knows if, if it will uh, really work. Um, that was the reason why I also wanted to go back on on cycling industry side after three years in business development um, at a trade show and of these two years during COVID. Um, yeah, I simply wanted to take care about uh, cycling only and uh, be on the manufacturer or brand side. Um, I enjoyed that a lot more. Yeah, well... I'm sure there are people listening to the show who are going to be going to Eurobike. This is going to be published just before Eurobike. So you can speak to us about your experiences and opinions at Cycling Industry News on Twitter and Instagram, Cycling, Cycling Industry Chat on Facebook, and of course the homepage cyclingindustry.news for all of your global cycling industry news, funnily enough. So, Bastian Diaz from SQ Lab, fantastic to speak to you. Really appreciate you taking the time to join us and to give us your insights on these topics. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. 